Boarding made at the home of Captain L. A. Egglesfield in Jersey on the 11th of June 1975. Up to June 1933, the Imperial Airways Eastern Route terminated in Karachi. At the beginning of July, it began to be extended gradually towards Australia. One of the first developments was the uh, first scheduled flight from Karachi to Calcutta, and this was in the command of Captain L. A. Egglesfield. Captain Egglesfield, what are your recollections of this first flight down to Calcutta? Well, firstly, it was very hard work because the monsoon had broken and the weather was, shall we say, unfriendly. And we also had very considerable difficulties with starting engines. The design for starting the engine was compressed air and the bottles were quite inadequate unless the engine started on the first go and in the humid condition they didn't. This meant that we had serious delays all along the route and we eventually fetched up at Calcutta well, quite late in the evening. To start off with the Jodhpur there was no problem except that we were late away from Karachi because there was being the first mail, there was a very heavy mail that meant adjusting the load and they'd had heavy rain at Jodhpur and most of the airfield was reported as out of action and we had to land on a Murram road running across the aerodrome. By the time we got there it was dark but they had a flare pass and we managed this with no great difficulty. We were off early in the next morning to reach Delhi by 7.15, which we did on schedule, and then our trouble started. Starting at Delhi became an absolute nightmare. There was a small hand pump for pumping up these air bottles, and eventually we got all engines going and got away. Next stop was Cawnpaw, and as we, only, we were only scheduled for 15 minutes on the ground, we didn't, didn't stop the engines. There was a big crowd there to meet us, and for some months afterwards, you can usually tell who was there, because their tropical suits were all spotted with oil from the engines. Then to Allahabad, and again this problem was starting engines. However, we again eventually got away from Allahabad. Weather was fair then. It had a lot of rain, but it wasn't too bad. And we went on to Asensol. Asensol, we found, was only 400 yards long, with a bund at each end. And one had to come in very low over the bund to finish up, to pull up in time. Uh, Again, the surface was very wet, it had heavy rain, but we managed to pull up all right. And again, we, we didn't stop the engines. And as soon as we could, we taxied right back to the edge of the airfield and took off again. We just cleared the bun, and I remember noticing the crowd on the bun all went flat on their faces, and you could see the slipstream of the propellers lifting up their dotes. By the time we were away from Asensol, it was getting dark. I hadn't been into Dum Dum before, as the airfield for Calcutta, 
But I had Sir Frederick Timms, the Director of Civil Aviation in India, with me, who was familiar with the airfield. So he came up in the cockpit and sat alongside me and sketched out the airfield and the various obstructions, including some telegraph wires just short of the approach. When we got over the airfield, they had a flare path laid out, and again we landed successfully. And there was a, still a big crowd to meet us, although they'd been waiting for some hours. The result was we did, we got there on schedule in the sense that we got there the same day, even if a few hours late. And of course, we learned a lot of lessons from this. Now, there hadn't really been a flight down this route uh, since the 1931 experimental mails, apart from the uh, proving flight in the command of Captain Prendergast. Uh, what sort of information did you have available about the landing grounds between the two centres? Well, the information on that sector was good because the Civil Aviation Directorate in India gave us full information on the landing grounds. The monsoon flying, of which you spoke earlier, did cause you some problems from time to time. Oh yes, yes, because um, our um, blind flying instruments were fairly primitive, which made blind flying really quite hard work. And of course, in the monsoon thunderstorms, you've got a lot of turbulence. What sort of weather information did you have available to you? Well, very little, really. The trouble was the reporting points were so spaced so far apart that it was very difficult for the Met people to fill in the gaps. They did the best they could, but um, very often you didn't know at all what you were going to run into until you actually, actually met it. Some of the weather reports tended to be on the overcautious side. Understandably, the fellow wanted to be sure he didn't mislead you. And one rather extreme example I had was skies clear to partly clouded and maybe completely overcast at times, visibility fair to good except during rain or dust when poor to bad. But that was perhaps rather a, an extreme case. Now this particular flight between the 7th and 8th of July 1933 from Karachi to Calcutta was made in the Atalanta VT-AEF, Arethusa. Now, what was the history of this particular aircraft? Well, Arethusa was originally the first aircraft of the type named Atalanta, registrations GABPI. During the early proving flights at Croydon, this aircraft was damaged at Ostend. The problem was that the aircraft had, had a very flat glide when you were landing in small space, uh, spaces, and unless you were very careful, it was possible to catch the tail on the boundary of the aerodrome, or on a bund, as was the case at Ostend, and in this case it actually pulled the tail off. The aircraft therefore had to go back to the makers, and was delayed for a considerable time. To get the first aircraft out to South Africa, they accordingly selected Arethusa 
whose registration was nearest to the original, that is J-B-T-I, and renamed it Atlanta, and off it went to South Africa. In due course, Arethusa came out as G-A-B-P-I still, but when it got to India, it was re-registered with Indian Transcontinental Airways under Indian registration, and the original registration was thankfully lost forever. What were these Atalantas like to handle from the pilot's point of view? Very nice indeed, generally. The only snag was the very sensitive and flat approach. If you came in at all fast, you got too fast, and it was very difficult to get the speed off. They should have been fitted with flaps, and of course all subsequent aircraft were. But as it was, you had to be very careful landing on a small space. Otherwise, they were excellent. Light on the controls, easy to handle. And later, when we got the Sperry Artificial Horizon, the one had no complaint about the instruments for, for blind flying. But originally, with the um, Pioneer, it, it was difficult. What was the strength of the crew? Two. The captain and the first officer, who was also a radio officer, flight engineer and steward. But you say you had radio. I mean, what sort of radio facilities did you have on board? Mainly um, RT, not, not voice. So the um, radio officer had to do it all by, all by transmission and had to be able to read Morse well. Now, it was only a matter of uh, two months between the end of your first flight down to Calcutta and the time you set off again with another first scheduled flight uh, from Karachi to Rangoon. Now, in this particular instance, did you do any preparatory work? Well, only to um, look up the information about the airfields and to receive the ra some rather frightening reports about the size and shape of Rangoon Airfield at Mingladon, which was on quite a pronounced slope. The result was that you either had to come in towards the slope, which meant coming down a slight hill and pulling out in the valley at the bottom and landing short up the slope and making sure you didn't run over the top of it, for after a short level portion, there was a sharp drop away. Alternatively, if the wind was strong enough in the other direction, you had to be sure to land short on the level portion and then hope that um, she would pull up before the bottom, that your brakes would hold them. Now, your logbook for this particular flight is very uh, sparse in, in the detail it carries. 29th of September, Karachi, Jodhpur, a night stop. 30th of September, Jodhpur to Delhi, a flight of 2 hours 43 minutes, then on to Kanpur, and Allahabad, and then Calcutta, and then a night stop, and then the new territory on the 1st of October 1933, Calcutta to Akyab, and Akyab to Rangoon. Was it as straightforward as that? Well, I think so, yes. See, by that time, the monsoon was finishing, so the weather conditions were much better. Akiab 
except after heavy rain, was a, a nice airfield, reasonable size and clear approaches. Rangoon, of course, was tricky, particularly the first time you landed there, but it was... Why, why were your uh, logbooks of that time uh, so devoid of detailed information? Uh, no times of takeoff, no times of landing? Well, I suppose they should be. They should have been entered in, but we made out a full voyage report at the end of it, end of the trip, and I suppose one never occurred to one at that time that now, some what forty years later, would <laughs> be asked for details of the actual. But were you aware that uh, this was the first flight over this particular route, uh, a first scheduled flight carrying official mails? and therefore you were making history. Well, yes, and of course that was covered in one's voyage reports. What It didn't occur to one that you wouldn't always have the voyage reports available to refer to. What was the length of your working day at those times? Well, they usually reckoned that you'd start off around about six in the morning and probably finish about five or six in the evening. But that was fairly flexible. If you were lucky, you finished a bit earlier, but usually ran the other way. And could easily run to a 14-hour day, of which about 12, 10 or 12 hours be in the air. And I must say, the passengers took it remarkably well. I mean, it was, it was our job. But the passengers, they were paying for the privilege of being flogged around the air like this. At what sort of speeds? About... Well, in the Atlantis, 100, 105, 110. But then, nowadays, of course, your working day, if you were taking out an aircraft, would begin considerably before your takeoff time. How much before did you start work? About an hour before, you'd say. To check through the papers and the load distribution, fuel, weather reports, such as they were. But... Not more than an hour at that time. There wasn't so much preparatory work, of course, then, as um, there is now. Did you have much contact with your passengers? Oh, yes. In fact, you got you very often got to know them quite well by the end of the trip, because you'd always meet them at the night stops. And, of course, particularly with the Atlantis, we tried to avoid having meals in the air. Therefore, you'd have meals at refueling stops. Again, you'd meet the passengers then. Although Captain Egglesfield didn't fly the first extension flight uh, from Karachi to Singapore, he did fly one of the first service flights down that route. Now, what were your problems this time? Well, nothing like so much, because for one thing, the weather was much better, the monsoon was over, and of course... Well, as in the Calcutta-Rangoon sector, we had the benefit of Prendergast's information, advice about the route and the condition of the airfields. Bangkok was, well, that was all right in dry weather. They had a cement strip in the middle of it, which you landed on in wet weather and used for taking off. But again, that was all right at this time of year. Alor Star was a good one. A hard, basic surface. didn't drain very fast, but it kept hard underneath. So sometimes you've got surface water lying, but you landed in that, and you didn't bog down. 
Singapore was at that time quite a unique all-weather airfield, which was um, designed by the local Air Force um, aerodrome men, who built it in the form of a dome, so it drained on all sides, and there was a deep, deep perimeter ditch, which um, took off the water. But of course, Sing Singapore, you get your rain at any time of the year, and or Aloe Star come to that. But that flight, that trip was, um, at that time of year, was fairly straightforward. A long haul from Bangkok to Alor Star. We occasionally had a refueling point at Kolek, which was halfway down. That was not a very good surface. It was ridden furrow. You had to either land, bounce along it, or land along the ridge. I see from your logbook that you, you record that the flight from Rangoon to Bangkok, which of course was the first of the new sectors, was 3 hour 20 minutes, then on to Kolat, 1 hour 24, and then to Alal Star from there, 3 hours 47. You had a night stop at Alal Star and finished up in Singapore the following day, and now we're talking of the 2nd of January 1934, uh, flying from Alal Star to Singapore in 3 hours 55 minutes. Now, once this had been done, and once the route had been established, I take it that mail was being flown regularly up and down that route? Oh, yes, both mail and passengers. That we carried passengers throughout from the time we first started from Karachi. What were your memories of the next couple of years, the time when you were flying extensively between Karachi and Singapore? Well... Mainly that during the monsoon it was, well, not a happy trip between Bangkok and Rangoon and Rangoon-Akiab. Sometimes from Akiab into the Bay of Bengal, you got very heavy monsoon storms and most intense turbulence at times. Once I took off from Akiab and I went into what looked quite an innocent rain squall, and within almost a matter of seconds, the aircraft sort of shud shuddered, and I found myself with the um, altimeter going round faster than the second hand of a watch. I finished up at 9,000 feet in, um, well, under a minute, and prolonged like that for a minute, and then I came down almost as fast. It was quite an experience. But that, fortunately, you could usually spot these and avoid them. But to build up over the hills between Bangkok and Rangoon was the worst thing. We always tried to do it in the early morning in each direction because it wasn't so bad then. They built it worse late and late in the day. Then again you had the um, Arakan Hills between Rangoon and Akiab. But they weren't so extensive, and again, very often you could divert around them. Then across India again, you got this low cloud, heavy rain. One of our biggest problems then was that um, the radio services were still rather in their infancy, and so was the direction finding, and purely a matter of Locating where you were was very often a problem and very worrying at times. But um, we got through them all right. 
Oh, Captain Ecclesfield, I'd like to take you on now a period of almost four years to the time when you were involved in what was the second survey flight uh, down to Singapore in a flying boat. Could I first of all ask you uh, how it was that you had transferred to flying boats? Well, I was originally at sea. Prendergast and I both joined Pearl Airways together. We'd both been at sea. And so they wanted flying boat pilots at the time. They converted us onto flying boats. That was on the Central African route, but later on went back to land planes, but periodically took over flying boats on the Mediterranean, so one was able to switch from land planes to flying boats without any trouble. Just have to remember that you're landing on water instead of land. But it kept one's hand in very nicely indeed. And then, of course, when the C-class flying boat came along, one was um, all ready to take them on. What was the essential difference from the pilot's point of view between the two types of machine? Well, in good conditions, the flying boat was much easier to handle and to land than, than the land plane. It was delightful. But if you got, um, well, a heavy swell or um, glassy calm conditions, then you needed all your experience to cope with it, particularly in a glassy calm, because when you got reasonably near the water, suddenly you lost your horizon and you were in a complete void. The only way to cope with it was to bring her down on your engine so that you were on a flat angle and you just brought it down gently until you felt a touch of water. But that was a condition that it was very hard to put over to people because you just couldn't believe it until you saw it happen yourself. You thought, oh yes, well, I must say it's going to be tricky, like landing on snow or something. But no one really believed how completely lost you were until they had experienced it themselves. In the span of years between the time you were flying the Atalantas uh, down the eastern route and the time you then took up the C-class flying boats, there must have been a terrific change in the numbers of uh, in the in the crew flying. Yes, between the Atalanta and the flying boat, not so much between the HB-42s. Um, the Atalantas, we only had a crew of two. In the HB-42s, um, we had a crew of four. Flying boats, we only had one more. We carried a flight cart, or purser, as call them, as well as a steward. But, of course, there was very much more spaciousness and so much better performance, so much more... Um, Confidence, confidence, and say effortlessness in the flying. That it was like a, a different, different job altogether. Passengers always speak of the uh, C-class flying boats as being the acme of uh, pre-war aviation. Well, what do you think about it? I think they are the acme of aviation, let alone pre-war, as far as passenger comforts concerned. They had adequate space. They could move around and stroll around. The promenade deck section only had two seats pressed on one side and the other side completely clear for people to stand and or walk. The seats are better than anything that's been devised since. 
I think they've been used now, except they take too much room in these days of um, using up every bit of space. But as I say, from the point of view of the passenger, nothing these days um, can touch it. And of course, admittedly, you don't get there, you didn't get there quite so quickly. But it became a club in the well on the voyage. It was rather like a voyage in a ship. We got to get to know each other at the night stops and then off they go on the next day and put up. It was a delightful experience. Nowadays, you're just getting from A to B. Now, on this particular uh, survey flight uh, to Singapore, uh, which aircraft did you fly? Um, Cordelia, which is G-E-A-U-D. And where did the survey flight begin? Well, I took her out from Southampton, but the actual survey started from Karachi. There again, of course, as compared with other surveys, I had a great deal of information, including valuable information from Captain Olga, who had done the earlier flight in Satyrus. And, um, as I say, compared with other trips, it was a very, very pleasant experience. We went into Rajsaman, where the whole place was lined with colourful Indians, all in their most attractive dresses and so on. Gwalia, the Maraja came out and took a flight with us. Allahabad was not so... It's more like the Nile, landing on the, on the river there. Calcutta, again, we landed a good way away from the town and a reach down the Hoogley. But um, having had a look around and tried out the reach above Howrah Bridge, we rapidly changed our base to that point. We went into Chittagong, again a landing on a river, just to um, check it up. Akiab was one of the slight problem places. Funnily enough, it was the least of our problems as an airfield. But it was, there wasn't very much shelter, there was much um, wind blowing, and it took a little sorting out to find sheltered reaches. Rangoon, there was no problem at all, except for rather like Calcutta, the ordinary traffic on the river, and the risk of submerged um, obstacles such as logs and things. Bangkok, straightforward on the river. Penang landed in the harbour, nice sheltered harbour, and Singapore landed in the harbour there. It was really a very, very pleasant trip. At each place we did demonstration flights, took up various local notables and so on, and we were very well received all the way along. Were there only official passengers on this particular flight? On the outward trip, yes. Homeward, as far as Karachi, it was still technically a survey flight, but I operated to the planned schedule, and I had two or three other passengers besides, besides the official ones. Then from Karachi onwards, I operated as an ordinary scheduled service.